One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Barbican Screen Talks Archive podcast. Every episode, we scour the Barbican's extensive audio archives in search of the best conversations about film so that we can bring them to an audience far beyond the soundproof walls of our cinema screens. In this episode, that mission has an increased sense of urgency because we're talking about the astonishing Syrian war documentary, Fasama. Made and narrated by Syrian journalist Wad Al-Khatib, the film documents five extraordinary years in the life of her family and her country. Wad began filming in 2011, at the beginning of the Syrian uprising, when she was still a student at the University of Aleppo. Her camera continued to bear witness to the sustained bombardment of that city and the suffering of its people, with her reports sometimes appearing on Channel 4 News in the UK. But these were also the years in which Wad married her husband Hamza, one of the last doctors left working in Aleppo, and gave birth to their daughter Sama, to whom the film is dedicated. The conversation you're about to hear brings together Wad and Hamza Al-Khatib, Wad's British co-director Edward Watts, and her colleague at Channel 4 News, Krishnan Guru-Murthy, who asked the questions. They discuss how a combination of the personal and the political makes Fasama such a uniquely powerful example of the documentary form, what it's like to adapt to a daily routine after living in a war zone, and what it means to prepare for a free Syria that is, in Ward's words, not if, but when. Watts speaks to what it's like to collaborate with a filmmaker who has such a close relationship to her subject matter and how he went about the near-impossible task of selecting 100 minutes from 500 hours of footage. What actually proved impossible, apparently, was getting Ward to agree to his selection. As alluded to by many audience members here, watching Fasama is an intense experience that brings up many emotions for the viewer, including guilt. Listening to this conversation will give some pointers for direct action and next steps. But Hamza also raises a disturbing point about the ongoing consequences of government inaction around the time of the chemical weapons attack in 2013. Some decisions cannot be unmade. I'm Eleni Jones and this is Barbican Screen Talks on Fasama with Ward and Hamza Al-Khatib and Edward Watts. Oh, well, look, ladies and gentlemen, this is very much your Q&A, but I'll kick off if you like. It's such an amazing feat, this film, and there's so much in it. Wada, when you were picking up a camera as a young student, what were you thinking you were about to do or, or were doing? Why were you doing it? Uh, actually, it, we thought all the Syrians who started the revolution in 2011 that that will be around, like, three, four months, maybe, and, like, we will be free and Assad will be full and... It's done. 
So the first point about that was the regime was denying the protests in uh, not just in Aleppo, in the whole Syria. And we were f seeing this in our own eyes. So we wanted to document this to let our people know. And we really believe that this has happened and tell the world outside that this is what we were fighting for. And just like with the time, the situation went in a very different ways. And then you've seen what you've seen in the film. What did you think you were doing, though, documenting it? That's what I often wondered, because we were watching Ward's material coming out and running some of it on the news as it happened. Why were you doing it? I wasn't stuck in the meaning of stuck, but I felt that I am there and I won't stay there. The only reason to give me why I'm doing this, just like to stay alive and feel that I'm alive and feel that I'm doing something really important. It's worth the thing that I... Maybe I will be die for this. So I need something really important. And I've seen the propaganda outside from the Russian and Assad forces, which is saying that we are all terrorists. Our daughter were terrorists. And that baby who we've seen, who was just like born by barrel bomb, he's also a terrorist. And we've seen like this is not the fact that was happening on the ground. So just give us a reason to tell the story in the way that how we've seen that. Hamza. Most of the people left, but you, you stayed, and you stayed with your family. Why were you staying? Why were you there till right till the end? Like, it just felt the only question we had in mind, like, why to leave? You know, like, we felt that we, if we just left all the sacrifices, all the people who were killed in the hospital and our friends and all of that, we'll, we'll just go for nothing. We just said at one point that we're tired and we can't do anymore, and we just leave. And at the siege, there was more than 300,000 families. So when we decided to get back to Aleppo, we decided to go back as one of those families where there is no difference. We don't have no privilege over the people of Aleppo, our own people, to just like stay in Turkey or leave our daughter in a safe place. Like we're just one of them and what happened to them will happen to us. This is the meaning of all the sacrifices for all the people who were killed in Aleppo and in Syria for fighting for dignity and freedom. So we just want to do it till, till the end. I mean, in terms of the film, Ed, I mean, it's a very unusual creative yeah. couple of this. <laughs> yes, uh, Working joyful, with the woman who was there and filmed it and you turning it together into this. Yeah, um, it's hard to summarise, really, the creative process that we spent two years together. I mean, it was a, it was a real honour, to be honest, and a privilege to have the opportunity to work so closely with someone who'd lived through that experience in the documentaries I've made before, you know, I haven't had that opportunity. And, and on the other hand, I'm <laughs> <laughs> the part of the story. That's a good example of how this worked. <laughs> she was like, you're wrong, I think. But, um, but really what was so great was the fact that we, as you can see, had a very robust, real friendship. And we both shared the desire to make this film as, as powerful as it could be. Because really what these guys lived through, what they did with their lives, and what WAD managed to capture on film is unique, extraordinary. It's like no other archive of documentary film that I'm aware of. It's incredible what you guys have seen, the horror and the terrible tragedy of the war, coupled with the intense humanity and all the best parts of human beings as well. That's what made it so extraordinary. So it was a real challenge just to do justice to it. Who'd like to ask a question? Hi, I'm itching to know most documentaries, sometimes at the end you have the now section, 
And I just, all the characters I completely kind of fell in love with and connected with and all the vibrancy. And I just kind of really want to know where your family are, where you guys are, you know, and what the journey is now. I will speak first about the staff of the hospital who were forced to flee out of Aleppo. They are now still working in Idlib. Idlib is the last area out of the regime control and the hospital set up with the same staff, same name, Al-Quds Hospital, and they still like doing their job there. Uh, the other family, Salim and Afra and their kids, lives now in Gazi Antab in Turkey. And they're just trying to adopt for this new life. Uh, we now in London. We lived here with our two daughters. Hamza, do you want to add anything about being here yourself and life now? It's just, just so weird to... I will speak for, for most of the people who are out of Syria at the moment and lived through all of that. So for our family and the other family that now are in Turkey, it's very weird to get a normal life, which is like daily routine life. And when you had the opportunity to plan for more than one week, I will not say five years, but we didn't have the opportunity to plan for... It was very extraordinary to just plan what we are going to do next week because we just were living day by day. And in addition of all of that, the same situation and everything that you have seen in the film is still happening in the last area that is out of the Syrian regime control, which is called Idlib. All the people who were displaced from their cities, from Aleppo, from al Ghouta, from Dara'a, south of Syria, they all were evacuated and displaced to this area. And now it's been targeted. It was the most brutal attack that ever happened to an area in Syria. Since last April, more than 50 health facilities were destroyed in this area. And more than 800 children were killed since last April. The number is more than the total of death in 2018. So the Syrian regime and the Russian just, because nobody stopped them and nobody tried to stop them, they just like launching their massive and final attack to end the Syrian crisis. Can I just add one thing as well? It's so good to hear you say that, you know, because that is something that we really wanted the film to show. Because I think so many people in Britain, all they experience about Syrian people is, oh, they're terrorists or refugees. But actually what this film shows you is they are like us. They are us, you know. We are all Syrians in that sense, you know. They share our values. They share our sense of humour. They were fighting for the same values that we all share, you know, before we even realised those values were at stake. And this is why it's so relevant, what Hamza is talking about. You know, these things are happening now to people who share our values. And it's not just a matter of, oh, it's happening to those people over there and we're okay over here. We have that shared humanity with them. And for that reason, we should be doing something more or trying to think of something more that we can do to, to help them. I um, would love to know what Sama's, what she remembers of Aleppo. And, and I'm sure at some point in her life, she'll see this film and, and you know, both of your daughters. And, and the second question is, where do you go from here with your lives? Obviously you've lived a lifetime of experiences. And now I guess I'm sure ultimately you'd love to get back to Syria at some point. You'd probably love to do medicine. You'd love to do, films or what have you, but I'd love to know what's the next chapter in your lives because uh, clearly you you still have a, a great future ahead of you uh, considering all the things you've done. And the last question is for Ed. How many hours of footage of film did you actually have to go through? Uh, regarding Sama, she, as all the other children who lived in, in the crisis areas, not only in Syria, but like in, in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in all the crisis area, 
they see nightmares and they can't express themselves because they just woke up afraid and scared and just screaming and crying. And you can't tell exactly what they are seeing to help get over it. So we're just waiting until she's maybe four or five years old so she can express what she's seeing and then we can talk her through it and try to, to manage it. Regarding myself, I'm planning to do a master in public health. I just decided not to focus on the clinical medicine and that go for like the health policy, health service management that affect the community rather than like on a personal level. So hopefully the education I will have here will help building the health system in Syria or at least for the time being in the non-government controls area and then hopefully in free Syria. I have also um, got a master in LSE to do media communication and development, which is next year too. And this is the same thing. We're trying to, as much as we can, to improve ourselves here and try to think more about like how to build, for me, like the media system or uh, the new media of that we can have in Syria if, um, not if, like when we will have free Syria one day. And think about this time that this is what I need to do to the day that I will be back. And just more about now the film itself. We've going around with the film, we're sharing the story, we speak with people, with interviews around the channels, and we're trying just to uh, like raise awareness as much as we can about the Syrian revolution and what happened with us as one family and the other people in the film. Who looks after you? Me. What? The two of you. <laughs> Who makes sure that you're okay? Me. <laughs> no, I don't. So I think we, we just got each other and we know that, like I know that I can't break down, she can't handle it. And I think she knows that she can't break down, I can't handle it. So we'll just stay to stick, to hold it together for, on, for the sake of the other person. And that's it. There was a question there oh, as well. I was just going to do the hours question because, uh, yeah, oh, I mean, we still don't know the exact total. To be honest, she was breaking out clips only the other week saying, hey, why did we never use this? I was like, please, just no more footage. But it was definitely over 500 hours. I mean, one of the great merits of this woman who is a born natural filmmaker, as you've all seen, is she filmed everything. She filmed herself peeling aubergines for two hours, which we had to sit through because she said it was very important. Um, we managed it was. to... <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Um, I think we narrowed it down in the end to 300 hours that felt directly relevant. That was also leaving the aubergines. His perspective yeah. mine. There was also this Aleppo Amdram, like rehearsals, which we had to wade through. But um, 300 hours, though, of unbelievable stuff amazing amazing footage so as i said it was a privilege to have that incredible archive to work with anyone else uh, yes down here my question is i probably speak for most of this audience watching that is quite an emotional journey i think i spent a lot of it being both upset and angry and also learning a lot so thank you so much that kind of reaction makes us just sit here and go what can we do how can we help and also just sit here in frustration at our own sort of I hate to use the term but first world problems is there anyone that you think really needs to see this and is there any sort of direct action that you think can come from this film because I don't know if you can sit Assad down and show it to him but <laughs> believe me I'm sure he's aware of, of of everything I would say that now we are out of Aleppo and a lot of the Politics are saying that we are, Al-Assad has won the war. He's now controlling 80, more than 80% of Syria. 
and everything is back to 2011. So like we need to deal with it, like to be uh, real about it. And like he's ruling the country now. And from my perspective, at least, it's maybe too, too late to deal or to do any action for the people who were in Aleppo because they're already displaced. It maybe took a long time even to take action for the people that are suffering now in Idlib, but it's never too late for accountability. That might happen after a year or three or five or ten. And the most important thing that the war that we're facing at the moment as Syrian people is the narrative war. Because the Russian and the Syrian regime make it all about ISIS, about jihadists. When you hear about Syria, you just, anything came to your mind is ISIS, jihadists, civil war, which is like Syrians killing each other, those savage people. And this is what just came to your, to your mind. While obviously it's not the fact. So at least I want, after 10 years, when my daughter is grown up, and want to look back what happened into her country. She's not saying that, oh, there was a civil war and those like barbarians, jihadists start to beheading people, because this is not what happened. I want to save the narrative for her and for the next generation to know exactly what happened, which might lead then to accountability. And this is really what everyone of us can do here. Like everyone who's like a journalist, write about it, write about what's going on right now in Idlib, which is for us the urgent action to do is about stop bombing hospital right now, stop bombing the civilians who's living there right now. And we're trying to build our impact campaign around things to do, to provide people with tools so they can do action, actually. Please follow for Summer Film website and social media, anything, anyone can like raise any awareness about this, like, please do. We really need that. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. One of the things, we, we did a screening in the UN. One of the amazing things about what's going on in the UN at the moment is because the Russians and the Syrians are member states where they have certain privileges. So even though they're the only people flying aircraft over these areas where hospitals are being bombed, no one can actually say they're the ones bombing the hospitals. They have to use the passive tense all the time. Hospitals are being bombed, like it's being happening dropping out of the sky or the wind and knocking them over. And so one of the things that we're trying to emphasize is that there has to be this UN process and inquiry, and there has to be like pressure on the UN Secretary General, actually, that he authorizes these kind of inquiries so that they can go through that process and start attributing responsibility for some of these attacks. So that's one of the things. And I think we'll post Putin a DVD for his birthday as well. <laughs> but in the meantime, it's really important that as many people as possible in this country see this film. So. When I say tell all your friends, tell all your friends. Yes, uh, lady in pink right at the back. Hi. Um, I'm still quite emotional about it, but I thought I would brave through a question. I'm quite curious to know what it is that you would have liked to see during those years as support and just how inadequate you feel we've all been in helping, whether individuals or governments. And... If I may, the second question is a more personal question on what are the things you think have influenced your character in being so, having such strong values and having such integrity as to make those difficult decisions and stay? I will start. Can I give you the answer tomorrow? <laughs> to think about it. I will start with the second question where part of this, I feel that what my parents grew up me on. It was a lot of things where when I was so young and 
we have a lot of like discussions about like what's going on in Syria and what's happened and it was all this like secret conversation because even like your neighbors or your cousins shouldn't know that you are speaking this with your parents but one of the particularly things happened which I felt that's shaped my character a lot one of the things why I've taken a lot of decisions and the end of this was that when we are all 15 in Syria, we automatically be part of Al-Ba'ath party, which is the only party that we have in Syria, which is Assad regime family. And uh, as I remember, when this is a very common scene, you've seen any Syrian who ask, you can ask him about this and he will tell you this. The teacher is coming, they give papers for everyone in this room and say, without explaining why these papers and what's inside, they just ask you, like, sign it and give it to us. And I wasn't really thinking about not to sign these papers. The only thing I was thinking that, I don't know what does that mean, and I need just to ask my parents about this, because we had that conversation before. And I, I've, like, stand, tell the teacher that, can I take this paper for with me, and I will bring it back tomorrow. And... Like suddenly this teacher like transferred to a monster and start like shouting and she said a lot of like bad things and then she kicked me out of the class first and then from the school and I went back home like crying. And when I went back, I've seen my father on the phone with her and when he closed the phone, he asked me like what happened? So I've just like I was crying and I've told him what happened exactly. And he's like said, give me the paper. He did it and was telling me, if you want to sign it, you can go back to your teacher and tell her to give you another paper and you can sign it. If you don't, so no one will force you to do this. This is one of the things which until now I can really feel that I know that my parents like close me on something. It's really valuable. And this is, was the only way for them to let me stay in Aleppo when the revolution started. Because the only way to do this was I was telling them, you grow up me on this and I know that this is what I need to do. And they were just like, yes, do it. So I feel that this is parents' issue and that's why I felt so responsibility for Sama that I need to take, even if it's so hard decision, but I need to take it so she will understand that when she will grow up. I mean, if you think about the first part of that question, I think what's actually partly behind it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is that... You watch this film as a Brit sitting in London or wherever you might watch it, and there's an element of guilt that you, you feel because you didn't always pay attention, you didn't always watch the news report, you didn't do anything about it, you didn't go on a demo, you didn't write to your MP, and this all happened, and it's still happening. Years and years and years of this. So how do you feel about that now that you're here and living in a country that's still sort of obsessed with immigrants and Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> so, frankly speaking... Yeah, go on. If you want yeah. to hear... Please, no. <laughs> Be British. Please, no. I'm begging you. No. No, <laughs> to be frank, that after Aleppo, I would speak for myself and for so many other Syrians, this is part also why you can think about it, why in conflict areas where there's no justice, more extremists join the queue on being like extremists because they want to find justice for themselves, that no one give them justice or they feel like there is no attention from all the other world about them. Nobody cares about their suffering. And so when we out of Aleppo during like the first year, I was really 
angry from all the world that there are so many children were killed, there are so many people were killed, and everyone was talking about democracy, freedom, one world, the big governments are talking about like ethics and like we know that like America, the UK, France, Germany, like they're controlling the world and they can like I'm still convinced that from day one if they want a lesser to be down, it's just a matter of taking a decision. And after a while and when we came here, first of all I realized we're not the center of the universe. <laughs> and there are so many other issues that people are struggling in in their lives and i was shocked that syria is not even in the news anymore and even if it was on the news it was because like of isis has beheaded someone or there was an attack over isis or whatever so this is what the people of the uk were, were just seeing and i was shocked by the reaction of the people after the screenings that they really want to do something they really don't know that this is what was happening and this is what they like the government and the parliament vote for not taking any action in 2013 after a chemical attack happened because they don't want to be in another Iraq which is completely different than what was happening in Iraq so I feel more responsible to to share the story with the people I'm still confident that the government knew exactly what's going on and it's just a matter of decision when they want to take Al-Assad down. But I think that I still have hope that people still have the power to change. And this is what we can do is just to bring Syria back to the news. First of all, we talk about the narrative between your own people and maybe also writing to your MBs, not once, but like every time or before the election. What's your plan about Syria? What's your speech about Syria? What are you going to do about Syria? And this is what will like make them think that the British people want to do something for the Syrians rather than just ignore them and it's not not important anymore. Like this guilt is really make me feel that I'm still a human being and I'm still thinking that I'm caring and I really want to do something. And just the fact that you have that guilt and I, ha I have it too and Hamza have it too and all of us think about like why we are now here, why we are not there now doing what we should do. The positive things about this, let's think how we can transfer this guilt or this anger to something as an action. And the great question that we have now, like from you, like what can we do for this? This is what we are waiting after every screening. We've seen how people are really care about others and they really want to, to make difference. And that's what we can do all. So really, let's think how we can go for one step forward to do something for these people. And really, thank you for this feeling. It's really give us a lot of hope to continue what we are trying to do. Like, imagine if in 2013, after the first chemical attack that happened in Syria, if the American and the British take a decision and then take Al-Assad down, and that's it. Like many other countries, not as a good example, but like when they want to do it, they can do it, and they did it. There will be no refugees crisis. There will be no 6 million Syrian people living outside of, the, of Syria. There will be no ISIS because ISIS started at the mid of 2013 after Al-Assad released most of the Islamic prisoners that he had. Most of Ahrar al-Sham, Jabhat al-Nusra, and this is all our extremist group, most of their leaders were in a prison, in Al-Assad prisons, and they were pardoned in 2013. And then they started to all those like extremist militias. Imagine, like there is no rising of the right wing in your country and in other European countries. 
imagine if just those governments take the right decision at 2013, what life would be. That's a hell of a thought. We're going to have to leave it there. <laughs> Ed, Ward, Hamza, thank you very much. Thank you. thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Barbican Screen Talk with Ward and Hamza Al-Khatib and Edward Watts. What you've just heard is one of many fascinating conversations with groundbreaking filmmakers from our archives. To listen, rate and subscribe to Screen Talks, go to Acast, Apple Podcasts or your usual podcast providers or visit barbican.org.uk. If you have a comment or a suggestion, you can find us at Barbican Centre in all the usual social media places. Barbican Screen Talks Archive is presented by me, Ellen E. Jones, and produced by Jane Long for Loftus Media. We'll be back next week with the team behind the Elizabeth Moss-starring biopic, Shirley, discussing their 2018 experimental drama, Madeline's Madeline. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Until then, be well and goodbye. <laughs>